Welcome to the official podcast of Harvest Bible Chapel Indy West. Our desire is to make authentic disciples of Christ who worship Him, walk with Him, and work for Him. You can find more information about Harvest by visiting our website at www.harvestindywest.org or by downloading our app from your app store. We pray today's podcast will encourage your pursuit of Jesus Christ. Well, good morning, Harvest. We have already spent much uh, time together this morning extolling the Lord and who He is and uh, extolling Him for His greatness and... um, I pray and hope that we uh, continue to do that even now as I uh, preach for us and um, bring God's word to our hearts today. I've been very grateful over the last month uh, while uh, Pastor Doug has been gone, just we've had some uh, really great times in God's word together. Pastor Eric uh, setting up the Abide study for us and Pastor Nate going through a theology of go for our church, super helpful as we think about what it means to uh, be a people that uh, goes as uh, disciples of Christ. And then last week we had Josh uh, Pastor Josh Nip here uh, from uh, from Bloomington Bible Church, what it's called now, and it's been it was so good to have him back uh, with us. He used to be with us years ago, and he brought us a a great message from Psalm 131 about uh, quieting our hearts and a calm and quiet soul before the Lord. And uh, would just encourage you if you've missed. Uh, anything, if you missed last week because you were out of town uh, on uh, Labor Day weekend, um, go to the website or download the app or go to your favorite podcast app and download uh, last week's message. I'm sure you'll be encouraged. I know I was encouraged and challenged uh, by that. And, uh, but it's, it's my privilege today to focus our hearts and minds and wills and bodies on God's word this morning. And if you don't know who I am, I'm uh, Pastor Nick. I'm the worship pastor uh, here at Harvest. And I don't usually do this. I usually do that. And I like that a lot better. Uh, but my primary shepherding responsibilities revolve around the worship life of our church. Uh, our understanding of worship, our practicing of it, our practicing of it corporately, and our continued growth in it until I or we see Jesus face to face. And uh, with that primary role in my mind and in our minds, I want to take us to Psalm 147 this morning. Psalm 147 Uh, If you turn there, and if you uh, don't have your Bible with you this morning, there are some Bibles on the back of the seats, and you can grab one of those, and it's page 525 in there. That'll take you to Psalm 147, and uh, we are big about the Bible around here. We have classes that help you read your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, and you just needed to pick one up from the back of the chair, that Bible is now yours, and the finance committees will figure out how to pay for a new one. Psalm 147 is the second of the final five uh, psalms in the book of Psalms, and I'm going to call them the Hallelujah Psalms, 
each and every single one of Psalm 146 through Psalm 150, each one of them start with this phrase in your Bible. It says, praise the Lord. And then if you look at the end of the chapter, it will also say, praise the Lord. And it's the Hebrew word, hallelujah. And then uh, our English translation translates it uh, to praise the Lord. And it's a a corporate command. It's a corporate call for us to gather together and to praise the Lord. Uh, These psalms of hallelujah lift our eyes from the things of this earth onto the great God in heaven who we worship and who we are called together to worship by these commands of hallelujah. And Psalm 147 also is split up into three sections. We've got section one through six, which starts with that command, praise the Lord, and then seven through 11, which uh, again calls us to sing to the Lord, and then 12 through 20, which again starts with a, with a command to praise the Lord. And we're gonna dive deep into this passage together today. We're gonna spend quite a bit of time probably in these first two sections of the passage, and then we will uh, rush through to the end of 12 through 20. Um, but uh, that's where we're going this morning. And some of you are already kind of internally, if not externally, rolling your eyes a little bit because, of course, the worship guy or the music guy is going to uh, give us a a message today on worship, and he's going to try to guilt trip me into singing more and participating more, and of course, he would be the guy to do that, and I'll start to turn him out now. And uh, I... I understand that, and, and I don't want you to come here as worshipers that are guilted into it because I come in week in and week out telling you that it's the thing that we should be doing. I want you to see that it is a thing that we should be doing because this is what God's word tells us to be doing. If he doesn't say it, then let's not do it, but if he does, then let's go for it, and uh, I want you to come to this passage, and I want you to be encouraged Okay. A lot of times we come to God's word and we're, um, um, we're challenged by it or um, we see God differently or um, we uh, are, are commanded or rebuked of our sin. But I want you to come to, to this passage today and be encouraged, uh, encouraged to praise, encouraged because of who our God is, encouraged because of what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will be doing. And so, uh, so why this hallelujah? Why this praise the Lord? Why this command to sing? Well, let's look together at verse 1 and zero in and see if we can get some answers to this why praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. Praising, singing to the Lord is good, it's pleasant, and it's fitting. It is good to sing praises to our God. It is good. And I see on some of your faces, on some mornings when I stand in a different role and position, that you don't think that it is good. And um, the people around you, if they they happen to hear you, they may not hear that it's good either, and, uh, and our ears deceive us because my heart and my mind 
uh, and what I see in God's word, it says it is good to sing praises to the Lord. It's good. Have you ever walked away from a conversation with uh, a friend, uh, sitting down at coffee or, or spending the evening with, uh, with another couple at dinner and just walked away from the conversation so encouraged, so um, you just walked away and said, man, that was so good for my heart. That was so good for my soul. I'm so glad we did that. And I really think that's the attitude that we should be leaving this room together each and every week and saying it's good for us to be together and to sing together. And I am encouraged by having done that. Uh, Colossians 3.16 reminds us to sing to the, one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Singing encourages one another to keep going. Singing uh, across the room to one another saying, this is our God, this is who we're going after, and we can do this for our lifetime. Singing centers our hearts and minds on the truths found in Scripture if we are singing truths together. Singing brings these truths to mind at different times. Later in the week, songs come back to your mind in ways that uh, conversations oftentimes don't. And uh, singing connects the head and the heart in ways that God only understands and he created in us. And so that's why we gather and that's why we put a priority on singing in our services. That's why we do it for about a third of the time that we spend together in our services each week because it's good to sing praises to our God for it is pleasant it is pleasant, it's delightful and, and joyful. It, it isn't a dirge and it isn't a time for sorrow. There should be a thankfulness. There should be a hopeful quality to our singing and to our praising. Singing to the Lord lifts one's spirit and it lifts one's eyes away from its current circumstances and on to the Lord and it encourages us together to do that. It's pleasant for it is pleasant, pleasant, uh, that word also brings the connotation of beauty. There is also beauty attached to our singing and, and we were created to appreciate that beauty and that's why we spend as a team uh, a lot of time uh, crafting what we do so that it is a, a beautiful offering of praise unto the Lord and it's a, a beautiful time for us to gather and we can gather around God's beauty each week. For it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant. And a song of praise is fitting. It's fitting. It's like, of course we should be singing. Of course, it's obvious that would be our response based on what I know, based on what we know corporately together. But what do we know? Um, what makes what we know fitting a song, and these are great questions, and the rest of Psalm 147, I think, will lay out some, some real compelling reasons why it is fitting for us uh, to sing songs of praise uh, to our God. 
So let's look at uh, verses 2 through 6 here, verses 2 through 6, and see why a song of praise is fitting and be encouraged by our God and his powerful compassion. See if you can see his powerful compassion in these verses. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. The Lord lifts up the humble and he casts the wicked to the ground. These verses really show us God's powerful compassion. Let's look back at verse 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. God is the builder. Some scholars uh, attribute this psalm to uh, being a psalm of David, and others say it's definitely not a psalm of David, and that it's a psalm in the time of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of Jerusalem after the captivity in Babylon. And uh, the reality is the, the passage doesn't tell us exactly when it was, and, and I honestly don't care. Um, and so don't get too caught up in things that are strange to really get caught up in when you're reading your Bible. Um, but we do know from Scripture, and uh, even Nate brought this to the table a couple weeks ago in his message to us, that the Israelites were God's chosen people. And the world was to be blessed through them, and they were to be his ambassadors to the world. And the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He is building a people for his glory. He is uh, calling a people uh, to himself. And uh, uh, before Christ, it was Israel. And now, after Christ's birth, death, and resurrection, it is the church. It is those redeemed in Christ, and those are now the ambassadors uh, for God. And uh, if you keep your finger in Psalm 147 and go uh, over to 1 Peter 2, 1 Peter 2 for just a, just a second, and we can kind of flesh out this, uh, God is building a people, uh, God is the builder. 1 Peter 2, verse 4. Peter's writing to the believers and uh, Christians of his day who are scattered. Uh, it's in verse 4 it says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And jump down to verse nine. But you are a chosen race, a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see God as the builder here? You see him calling the outcasts from darkness into his royal family and into the light. And that's you and me. We are those living stones being built up as a spiritual house. God is the builder. 
Do you see the powerful compassion in that as well? We were outcasts. We were in darkness, called to his marvelous light. Those that don't understand what it means to be in Christ today, if you are here, I have good news of great joy for you. There is a God of the universe who is calling to you and wants to call you into his marvelous light and to build what he is building for his glory and he wants you to be a part of it. And believer, you should be encouraged because he is building his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And that should encourage us to praise. That should encourage us to hallelujah. God is the builder. Let's look at verse three. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. God is the healer. And in a room this size, there is no doubt in my mind that there are some of us that are hurting and broken today. And some of you, the weight of life has worn you down. Nothing has ended up the way you thought it was going to. And everything is just way harder than you expected. And maybe it's a hurt from a friend or a coworker or a family member that has betrayed you or abandoned you or abused you. Or maybe you have a broken heart and things are broken around you because of your own sinful choices. Verse three says, he heals the brokenhearted. He heals. The Hebrew uh, word rafa, which means to cure, to repair thoroughly, to make whole. God can thoroughly restore your broken heart, your crushed spirit. He can take all of the broken pieces in your life and he can make them whole. God is the healer. He heals wholly. It says he binds up their wounds. He binds the, the, the Hebrew word chabash, which means to wind around, to cover, and to bind up. Can you picture someone that has a, a deep leg wound and the, the wrapping that is around that leg to keep that wound together? God is that bandage, that covering over those wounds. He's covering it to protect it and hold it together and soak up anything that would want to seep out of it. And he's there the whole time providing protection and support throughout the whole healing process. That is our God. Whatever your circumstances of your hurt, your wounds, your broken heart, God is the healer. He wants to restore you and make you whole again. Turn to him and cast your anxieties on him for he cares for you. He calls to you, see and hear. Those that come today seeking Christ that have not accepted Christ, I'm here to tell you today that Christ died to heal your broken sinful heart and to restore you to right relationship with the God of the universe. See and sense that 
powerful compassion of our God and turn to him. And believer, he sees your hurt here in this broken world too. And he calls to you to lean into him and to hope in him and to hope in eternity with him. He calls you to see and hear that the work that he has started in you, he will work till completion. How encouraging. How encouraging is this powerful compassion that we see. How fitting it is to praise the Lord. Verse 5. Sorry, verse 4. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. So God is the builder, God is the healer, and now we see God is the creator. He's creator God. I remember back in the spring, Jill and I had an opportunity to go to the northern Michigan in the middle of the woods and go to this retreat. And uh, it was a retreat with some other worship pastors and wives uh, from the Great Commission Collective, which uh, our church is a part of. And uh, it, was, it was in the middle of, it was a national forest, and uh, there was nothing around. Uh, and this retreat was amazing. Um, lots of private land and private lakes. And um, the evening of the first night, it was about midnight when everything was kind of winding down and everyone was going back to their rooms and, and, and going to sleep. And we had a, a porch out our back. And... Uh, uh, midnight, we looked up, and I have never seen so many stars in my entire life. I am not a camper. I am not an outdoorsy person. But in that about 15 seconds, I could see why you people do that. <laughs> and then I went inside on the, the bed and laid down. It was a very nice bed. But the stars in the sky in this part of Michigan, there was no light pollution anywhere. We actually have some light pollution in Indianapolis that covers our ability to be able to see the stars really well. But there was nothing up there. And we could see thousands of stars. And it was like God had just thrown glitter up into the sky. And it was amazing. And... uh, Did you know that at a given time on Earth's dark side, depending on your location and light pollution, a middle-aged person with 20-20 vision can see about 2,500 to 5,000 stars. And astronomers say that there are about 1 billion stars in our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, and then there are about 10 billion galaxies in the known universe meaning that there are about one billion trillion stars. That's 10 to the 21st power. That's 10 with 21 zeros after it. That's our uh, guesstimate on how many stars there are. And that's what we know from our finite position, but God knows exactly how many there are. Exactly. He created each and every single one of them. He ordained them. He determines the number of stars. But not only that, he names each and every single one. 
He knows each one intimately like a father knows his child and names it one billion trillion unique names for his stars. That is creator God. What a contrast from verse 3 to verse 4. Read them together. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. Do you feel the full force of that contrast? Charles Spurgeon, when talking about these two verses, says, from stars to size is a deep descent. From worlds to wounds is a distance which only infinite compassion can bridge. Marvel and wonder at his powerful compassion. Be encouraged. Turn that encouragement into praise. This is our God, but there's more, there's much more. Look at verse 5 now. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. God is omnipotent and omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is abundant in power. He has way more power than what is needed. He's the all-powerful supreme being. Way more power. Have you ever had the opportunity to um, drive a, a nice vehicle with a, with a nice engine inside of it? When I was 16, um, my first car was a 1995 Geo Metro. Two-door hatchback, three-cylinder with 76 horsepower. And when I got on the highway with that thing, it worked really hard to get to 55 miles an hour. It was a struggle. And let's just say that that's not abundant in power. But last year, uh, we had the opportunity to, to travel a little bit, and uh, we, we got a really nice um, person at a, a counter with the a rental car agency, and he's like, oh, would you like an upgrade? And, and uh, you know, you talk him down from the price that they want to charge you for the upgrade, and yada, yada. And he ended up just giving us the upgrade because I think he didn't have any other cars in his lot. But anyway, um, he, he gave us this 2017 um, Ford Mustang GT V8 435 horsepower engine, and... Um, yeah, all the men are like, oh. Uh, when you get out on the highway on that thing, I remember we got, we got going, and uh, I'm like, man, we're not moving anywhere. I feel like I'm going like 30 miles an hour, and I look down at the speedometer, 85. I'm like, whoa. Okay, there's a lot of power. It was doing uh, very little to do what we needed it to do. It had a lot of power, and that's kind of the feeling that we should have in our minds when we're thinking of God's omnipotent power. He's got tons in reserve. He doesn't even need to touch to get everything done that he's doing. God's reminding us, stars, 
know them, number them, name them, spoke them into being, your wounds, your broken heart. I'm not even breaking a sweat. I've got this. I've got more than enough power. I've got more power than what's needed to handle whatever you throw at me. I'm omnipotent. God is omnipotent. And God is also omniscient. His knowledge and understanding you can't even begin to quantify. Second half of verse 5, his understanding is beyond measure. God's saying here to us, I'm omniscient and I know all and I see all and I know you and I remember and I see you and I know and understand what you're going through right now. I get it. And I've got it. God's the builder. God's the healer, the creator. He's omnipotent and omniscient. And what else shall we see that shows that it is fitting to praise him? Verse 6, the Lord lifts up the humble. He casts the wicked to the ground. Our God is just In his powerful compassion, he is just. And we see this all throughout Scripture. The wicked seem exalted for a time. It seems like things are going really well for them. And then in the end, God's upside-down economy kicks in. And the wicked and the proud are cast down. And the humble in spirit are lifted up. The world says, push yourself forward, get all that you can, exalt yourself through whatever means necessary, build your platform and your brand, try harder, work harder, and who cares about integrity? And yet God says, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. See, pride is the enemy of hallelujah. Pride is the enemy of worship. Where pride exists, hallelujah does not. And I think it begs to ask us the question, even in this moment, what kind of person am I full of pride or full of humility? There is one God, and he's looking to surround and embrace and raise up the humble. What an example of his powerful compassion. What an encouragement to praise. Doesn't it seem good to praise? Doesn't it seem pleasant? Doesn't it seem fitting to praise that kind of God? So now we come to the second section of our passage and verse 7 again centers us on this point. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God on the lyre. It's like this resounding gong. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's like me, week in and week out at you, right? Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. There should be thanksgiving in our hearts. And it says, make melody to our God on the lyre. So he's now adding instruments to our palette, to our musical palette, as we uh, praise the Lord. And sometimes I've been around some instrumentalists in the past that um, 
can't sing a lick, but man, when they play, it's like, yeah, they're singing now, um, and that's speaking a lot. And I, but sometimes there's a tendency to, uh, to make it all about me and what I can do and the things that I can perform, uh, and yet I'm super grateful for the people that serve here on, on our team and, and their hearts to point all of what they're doing, point all of it to the Lord and point all of it vertically, so grateful for them. And uh, verse 7 reminds us this, that it's all about him. And uh, we'll also see in these following verses the Lord delighting when we make life all about him. So let's look at this next section together. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beast their food and to the young ravens that cry. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. His delight of hope in him. Verse 8 says he covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. God is the sustainer. Not only do we see a glimpse of him as creator back in verse 4, but now we see a glimpse of him as sustainer God and how he cares for the earth that he has created. God didn't just create all of this and then walk away. He didn't just create it with his word and fashion it with his creative mind. He keeps it going. He's still involved in the details today. You can see that. He covers the heavens with the cloud. His daily activity in cloud formations and preparing rain showers to water the ground to give nurture, nutrients to the grass to grow. He's been very busy over the last couple days. His abundant power is constantly active in photosynthesis. I can't say that word. As the grass soaks up the rain and the nutrients in the ground. And this is just one example and one area of his sustaining power on display. He is the sustainer in the depths of the ocean, in the deserts. In the plains, the whole earth is full of his glory on display. The whole earth displays that he is the sustainer. He is always active in sustaining what he has made. And then we see in verse 9, he gives to the beast, the beast, their food, and to the young ravens that cry. He is the provider. God is the provider. His sustaining the earth then in turn takes care of providing for the animals and the cattle and even young helpless birds. They don't want for food. The, the provider takes care of his created order by giving them the food that they need to survive. Just like his care back in verse 3 for the brokenhearted and the brokenhearted man or woman and his, his eyes that see the humble in verse 6. His caring eye is now drawn here in, uh, in verse 9 to the beasts and even to the young ravens that cry. The young helpless bird that is crying for food in its nest, he sees that. He is not distant. 
He is not ambivalent towards any in his creation. He is the provider. So sing to the Lord with thanksgiving as verse 7 encourages us to do, right? It's so fitting to praise this one who is sustainer and provider. And how much more does he provide for his chosen people? He is showing himself trustworthy and dependable and something that we can lean into. And how can you not be drawn to a God like this? Yet the reality is, is so often we're not. We're not drawn to a God like this. Sometimes we don't get it and we don't see it. Verse 10, his delight is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. I really think these two verses are the the crux of this whole passage for us this morning. I think that what we see here is astounding and very counterintuitive and countercultural for us. Verse 10, his delight. Stop and think about that for a minute. This God that we've been talking about that is all of these things, God delights. God can be delighted. He takes pleasure. Get this. God is a happy God. He is not an angry God looking forward to wrath and punishment. He is a God full of delight. And his delight is manifest when his people hope in him. Hope. Hope is a crucial thing for us as humans. We are a forward-thinking being. We are always looking for the next big thing. And when we lose hope, that's when things go really bad. Depression, our thinking tanks, sometimes our bodies even respond in lethargy or sickness when we have no hope. And sometimes people even lose the will to go on without hope. And so as humans, we are always looking for something to hope in. Oftentimes we look in the wrong spots. We'll look at governments or leaders or gadgets or things or we'll look at our own abilities and our own smarts and strengths. His delight is not in the strength of the horse nor his pleasure in the legs of man. You see, in those days, it was common to hope in military strength for your security. And the most Powerful militaries of that day had horses. And the more horses you had, the sense was, the better the chance you had to win. And it's always uh, in our own hearts um, for us as humans to walk around wanting to show our own strength and to show how smart we are and put our best forward and how strong we've become and spend time in the gym developing our bodies so that we can look and feel strong. 
And is all that bad? Is it bad to have things that give you an advantage? Is it bad to be strong? Is God displeased with military might? Is God displeased with gifted and strong people? It's a good question. Um, And one that I was asking this week and found very helpful from John Piper, uh, The Pleasures of God, and he was commenting on this verse. God is not displeased with the strength of a horse and the legs of a man as good things that he has made. He is displeased with those who hope in their horses and in their legs. He is displeased with people who put their hope, for example, in missiles or in makeup, in tanks or tanning parlors, in bombs or bodybuilding. God takes no pleasure in corporate efficiency or balanced budgets or welfare systems or new vaccines or education or eloquence or artistic excellence or legal processes when these things are the treasure in which we hope or the achievement in which we boast. Why? Because when we put our hope in horses and legs, then horses and legs get the glory, not God. When we put our hope in earthly things, or we put our hope in ourselves, those things, or we steal the glory from God. But when we put our hope In God and God alone, he alone gets the glory. And that's what all of this praising is about in the end anyway. It's for God's glory. So what is God looking for if he's not looking for us to hope in things or strength? God does not desire strength. He desires and delights independence. He is looking for a dependent people, a humble people. I can do nothing. All of my hope is in you. Why? Because when all of my hope is in you, then you get all the glory. And the mind-blowing thing about all of that is that then he delights in that. He takes pleasure in that. It brings the Lord joy when you hope and depend on him alone. So it begs us to ask the question, what are we hoping in today? What does your life reveal that your hope is seated in? I want to challenge us today to bring delight and pleasure unto the Lord through a deep dependence on him that results in praise to him alone. Because when you can honestly say that God did it, then all the praise and glory goes to him. Let's fly through this last section of the passage. Verse 12, praise the Lord, O Jerusalem. Praise your God, O Zion. Another centering verse reminding us why we're here. We're here to praise the Lord. These are why we're rehearsing these things about our God because we're here to praise the Lord. And 13 
through 20, for he strengthens the bars of your gates. He blesses your children within you. He makes peace in your borders. He fills you with the finest of the wheat. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like uh, crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Praise the Lord. See clearly in this stretch of verses that God is an active God. God is active. He is active right now for his people. Verse 13, for he strengthens, he blesses, he makes, he fills, he sends, he gives, he scatters, he hurls, he sends, he makes, he declares. That's our God. He's active, he's in control, and he's doing what he wants to do and see also in this stretch of verses that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over all things. Verse 13 and 14 proclaim his sovereignty over your safety, his sovereignty over your children, his sovereignty over your provisions. And verse 15 through 18 extols his sovereignty over the earth, the weather, the snow, the ice, the wind, all types of bodies of water move under his control. They are all under his control. God is active. God is sovereign. And finally, we see that he communicates with his people. God speaks. God speaks. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. Initially, he spoke to Abraham and to Isaac and then to Jacob and then to Moses. And even in the New Testament, Romans 3, you can look it up later, tells us that that the Jewish people were entrusted with the oracles of God. And Uh, Yet in Jacob, you'll remember this hugely important passage from Genesis 28, Genesis 28, 14, God speaking to Jacob, in you and your offering shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God speaks to Jacob, God speaks to his people, the Israelites, and then the Holy Spirit inspires them to write these these things down, then inspires uh, the followers of Christ in the New Testament to write down these words from God. And now we gather together today around these words because our God speaks. Our God speaks and he communicates with his people and that should well up within us a hallelujah. That should well up within us an an encouragement, encouraged by that God and encouraged to in turn praise that God. So Psalm 147 says, gives us many, many reasons to praise our God, to praise the Lord. You can see the list on the screen. This is just 20 verses in one psalm. In a book full of this. In a book full of telling you 
who your God is, what he has done, what he is doing, promises of what he will do. Harvest, this is our God, and he is worthy of our praise. So praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Be encouraged. Be encouraged about who God is. And let that encouragement overflow to praise the Lord because praise is fitting. Grow in your desire to fear God and your desire to hope in Him alone. So that at the end of the day, all my hoping in him will bring him great glory. And so this is our God. And let us respond in this way. Praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant. And a song of praise is very very fitting. Let's stand as we pray. Father, we come to you this morning, the God of all, the God of the universe, the God who is the healer, the builder, the sustainer, the provider. We've barely scratched the surface of who you are. And so we spend our days and our moments searching that out and extolling your greatness and depending upon you and in turn praising you with our days. May we grow in our desire to do that together. And may you receive much glory from it all. In Christ's name, amen.